Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doylestown Presbyterian Church. It's clearer these days, it's tough to make time. Schedules quickly become busy and calendars suddenly become full. To that end, DPC is excited to now offer this podcast channel, which will allow you to hear a recording of Sunday's sermon from that day's preacher. Whether you listen while taking an evening stroll, driving to and from the grocery store, or anytime you get a free couple of minutes, we hope it can allow for reflection and spiritual growth during your week. We also invite you to visit www.dtownpc.org to learn more about our church, our various ministries, and online giving opportunities. Thank you for tuning in. Today we begin a new sermon series where we follow the story of the Old Testament figure of Daniel. According to the book that bears his name, that man lived the entire stretch of time that the people of God were in exile in Babylon. And I suspect that you are familiar with some of his accounts of his time in a lion's den or the time he was placed in a fiery furnace. And we're going to focus on those events, too, as they unfold in this narrative. But we're going to look at the larger story of what Scripture tells us happened in his time of living far away from home. We begin today, despite the fact that this scene could seem very disconnected from life in the 21st century. The kinds of circumstances that they were facing seem remote to what you and I deal with on a daily basis. And yet I am convinced that there are eternal truths and guidance still to be found in that scene. That in fact those words help us negotiate what it is like to live in a foreign culture without fully accommodating to it or rejecting it. We as people of faith, still need instruction in those kinds of things. And we begin today with a scene that on the surface seems to deal with food. It provides us with the opening verses of that book that tell us of how once the people of God had been taken away from their homes, that King Nebuchadnezzar had his servants pick among some of those exiles who were from nobility and to place them in his palace for a three-year period of instruction in the local culture and language and literature. We are told that as part of that effort, he prescribed a daily royal ration for them that all of the Jews were to eat. And it is that point that Daniel speaks for the first time as he says, I will not defile myself. That is, I will not turn from the ways of God by eating this food. So he goes to the palace master and asks for a dietary exemption. And the official is uneasy at first, but eventually relents and allows for a 10-day experiment in which Daniel and three of his friends will only eat vegetables and water. At the end of that period of time, our text tells us that those four Jewish men actually appeared healthier than those who had been eating the standard royal ration. 
And while that might not be a surprise to those of you who are vegetarians, or even to my favorite registered dietitian, it was in fact an unexpected outcome in our text. As it simply concludes by saying that those to these four men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. Those final words offer a kind of foreshadowing of things that will be happening as we move through this summer series. But on this day, we stop with that moment when there is this struggle over food. We're not told exactly why Daniel objected. Some have suggested that maybe that royal ration included meat or food that Jews had been taught to avoid, or that some of it had already been sacrificed to idols. Others have suggested that in that particular era, that meat and wine was reserved only for festivals and that it was only the very wealthy who were able to afford such regular part of their diet. Any of those explanations could have been true. And if that latter one, David was, uh, Daniel was trying to, to show solidarity with his fellow exiles. We just don't know. And yet what we are told is that he made the choice that he did as a response of faith. Now, clearly, the kind of circumstances you and I face today are different than what was happening 2,500 years ago in Babylon. Equally clear is that there is really no consensus widespread in our population about what the best diet should be. And yet, this scene really isn't about food. And instead, what we have is this glimpse of someone who is seeking to act upon his faith amidst a culture that otherwise wouldn't recognize it. As such, I think he lists up for us the issue that really is part of our ongoing journey. Namely, how is it that we choose to make faithful decisions even in a culture that doesn't always support those choices? Put it differently, how might we decide in our everyday actions to model our faith in Jesus Christ. Several months ago, I ordered a new television online. The day I got notification that it was out for delivery, it gave me specific instructions that someone at home needed to be there to sign for it and that it would arrive by 8 p.m. Well, I finished all my errands early that day and then hung out at home. And by mid-afternoon, the package still hadn't shown up, though online it said it was still on the truck. 8 p.m. came and went. And I, 30 minutes later, I called the customer service department where they said, well, either I could go to the distribution center the next morning and pick it up, or I could wait at home again all day. I chose the former. So early the next day, I got to the distribution center before any of the trucks had left and they couldn't find my package. 
According to their records, it had been delivered the night before. And I assured them it had not. They suggested I go back home and wait. And so I did. And 30 minutes after getting there, this car pulled up in front of our home and a man got out who I had never met before. He walked up to our home and he held out his cell phone and said, is this you? And I looked at the screen and there was a photo of a shipping label with my name and address on it. He said, did you order a new television? And I answered yes to both of his questions. And then I learned his address on my street, but 15 houses away. And so soon I was there, he came out with the package and we loaded it in our car, my car, and then he told me the story. He said, last night I got home and the TV was on the front porch. And the last thing I need is a new television. And so as I took it inside, my wife said to me, what did you do? <laughs> and I said, it was a mistake and that I would find you today. He then offered to go with me and help unload the television and I declined, but thanked him profusely for all of his help. And a short time later, I had it up and running. And only then did I stop to think about all the things that had or could have gone wrong. As that driver misread the address and dropped off the package. The first was a mistake. The second was an intentional ch choice not to follow their own protocol. He indicated on his device that the package had been delivered to me, which meant that the next day the distribution center could have not listened to my story at all. My neighbor could have chosen to hold on to that television and no one would have been the wiser. Now, he and I never talked about matters of faith, but the choice he made in that moment clearly acted on that biblical word against stealing. I can well imagine that if he shared that story with any of his friends, one of them would have said, you should have kept it or you should have given it to me. And I can also imagine that some of the, Daniel's fellow Jews didn't understand why he was making such a big deal about the royal ration and that they feared that he would cause them trouble. And yet what both men chose to do was to respond in a way that the culture around them would not always have supported. And in doing so, reminds us that when we do that, there can be resistance or worse. Jesus talks about that in those, that brief passage that we heard moments ago. It came from the night when he was with his disciples for the final meal together. And over the course of that evening, he gave them all kinds of instruction I go to prepare a place for you, he said. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. I will send you the Spirit when I am gone, he said. My friends are those who follow my commands. 
Go and bear fruit. Lest those disciples thought that to act upon Jesus's instruction would always be easy or universally praised, he then went on and said this. If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me before it hated you. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own because you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Jesus was lifting up those moments when as an act of faith, people choose to follow his instruction. And when they do that, we'll find that there are moments when others around them will resist that, even push them away. So if a student chooses not to cheat on an exam, even though many of their friends are doing so, they run the risk of incurring the anger of those who feel as if that that decision will make them look bad. If someone chooses to give of their time or their treasures to the church, they can encounter resistance in their own household because of what that decision will mean to the home schedule or budget. If someone in the face of some proposed legislation chooses to act based on their faith and not what party leaders decree, there is that risk of being viewed as unsupportive and pushed away. Jesus recognized that potential long ago when he told those men who were gathered with him on that night that if, in fact, you choose to act on the basis of what I have taught you, don't be surprised if there are moments when the world hates you. But instead of suggesting that they then simply go along in order to keep the peace, he called upon them to do something else. One scholar describes the words in this way. This teaching challenges the contemporary church to reject the way the world does things and to present the world with an alternative, an alternative grounded in the love of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. Bishop Michael Curry first came on the world stage three years ago when he was the preacher at the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. As a, the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church in this country, it was only fitting that he participate in that Anglican service as there are deep historic roots between those two denominations. And yet as I watched that sermon, that African-American man with this exuberant style of preaching created a new admirer in me. Lori and I led a growth group a few months ago 
on his most recent book called Love is the Way, Holding on to Hope in Troubling Times. Most of the book is autobiographical as he takes lessons that he has learned over the years and then shares them uh, with the reader. And at one point, he talks of a moment when modeling another way, something that book consistently proclaims, when he found a time in his own life and ministry when he was challenged as never before. He came when he was serving as the pastor of an inner city church in Baltimore. Here's what happened. I was in my office in the church one day, he said, when I answered a knock at the door. It was a young guy in his early 20s whose face I didn't recognize. Apparently, he had seen our group singing spirituals on the corner. In fact, he was one of the dealers staring at us from across the street. He asked me if we could sit down and talk. I didn't show it, but I felt myself stiffen with anger. I had spent years now trying to keep kids safe from crossfire, to hold them tight so that the magnet of the streets couldn't pull them away. He represented everything I was against. Selfishness, violence, and exploitation as a way of life. I took a deep breath and reminded myself what I believed, what I said in so many ways every Sunday. Church was the one place where everyone was welcome. I invited him to sit, but it was an intellectual decision. My gut was still screaming at me that this guy was no good and undeserving. Still another part of me was nervous that we had ticked someone off and this guy was here to deliver a message. I want out. These were the exact words he used, Curry continues. They tumbled out of him the second he sat down. I said, tell me what you mean by out. Eddie, we'll call him, wanted out of the drug world and wondered if I could help him. I naively asked if he could enter the witness protection program and he laughed and he said, you've been watching too much television. <laughs> Thus began a process of meetings where Curry learned Eddie's story. The more I came to know his background and to know him, he said, the more I realized that we weren't very different at all. And it became harder and harder to dislike him. Eddie wasn't a drug dealer. He was a child of God, a person like me. I was now in a relationship with him and the result was love, whether or not I saw it coming or whether or not I wanted it. On one of those visits, Eddie asked about Jesus. We began a deep exploration of the Christian faith. Curry continued, we read and studied scripture together. We walked through parts of the New Testament, reading the key gospel passages that help reveal a real picture of Jesus. 
Then we worked through what it meant to follow him. Eddie had never been in Sunday school or church. Those words for him were all brand new. And I heard them as if they were new too. One day he said to me, okay, what do I have to do to seal the deal? He asked to be baptized. Understanding that renouncing evil would require significant life changes. Because he didn't want it to be public, we planned a private ceremony. I had done very few adult baptisms, Curry said, and this one required of the recipient a level of courage that I had never experienced in a church before. Here was someone who was making promises that could put his life in jeopardy. Never before had I trembled or felt myself tearing up during baptism, but I did that day. Never before had I looked into eyes gazing at me with such intensity. Seeing a child of God in the face of a repentant drug dealer, taking extra steps to make sure that a television is delivered to its intended recipient, choosing to refrain from eating certain foods. All of those choices and countless more can be acts of faith. Times when we choose to carry them out can result in resistance or worse from others. And yet, that is the call that we have accepted into choosing to follow that one whom at times the world still hates. Let us pray. We give thanks, O oh God, for the incredible nature of your love, a love that breaks down barriers, a love that calls for transformation, a love that invites us to follow wherever you lead. We thank you for this day when 19 confirmands are making that choice, for this day in which each one of us is reminded of the ways that we continually must respond to your call and pray that it might be a time for us once more of claiming and acting upon the faith that we have, no matter where it leads. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on your journey of faith. Don't forget to check out www.dtownpc.org to explore all the ways DPC strives to be a bridge for Christ and a beacon of his love.